So we want to start looking into this uh, teaching for the week. And it uh, seems like the place to start is at suffering. <laughs> it's uh, the Buddha's teaching on suffering. And uh, I'm sure you've heard it said many times um, as you've listened to various Dhamma talks and various teachings that the Buddha only had this one concern in all of his teachings. And this was uh, suffering and how to release from that. And he comes at it from many, many different angles. You know, the very, very practical teaching uh, uh, throughout uh, 45 years <laughs> and recorded in hundreds and hundreds of pages in the Pali Canon uh, of just uh, practical teachings that point out the ways that we get tangled and the ways that we uh, can release, can break out of the tangles that we're in. And I suspect that in one way or another, that's why all of us are here. You know, uh, we, we have, we're awake enough to know <laughs> that we're tangled and uh, looking for ways to uh, get, get untangled, to kind of free ourselves of how to address all of that. So this week what we're going to look at is this, uh, what's really one of the most important teachings in this regard. Um, uh, it's called the Sabhasava Sutta, number two, in the Majjhima Nikaya. And uh, basically it summarizes the, the deeply entrenched uh, patterns of craving and ignorance. It points to uh, what those patterns are. And, and then also to, to methods uh, that, uh, by which we can uh, uh, get unstuck in them. You know, we, we keep getting stuck in particular patterns. And this is a, a way to uh, address all of that. So, uh, you know, one might go so far as to say that this particular sutta is, is really outlining the whole of practice. It's about uh, uh, seeing our patterns and learning how to work with them uh, effectively, diligently. So the key word here is asava, A-S-A-V-A, and it's often translated as taints. That's the one I like to use. It's a, a co- pretty comprehensive, but sometimes you hear it uh, translated as cankers or inflows or outflows, uh, different kinds of corruptions, things like this. So it's kind of got this heavy connotation to it. But I think what the Buddha is pointing to is the, the, the depth of the entrenchment, uh, the depth of the delusion. Uh, and one of the things that I, I like about just contemplating what, it, what the word comes from, uh, the, the root in it, uh, su, means to flow. And as I thought with that... Uh, I realize that there's something actually um, potentially liberating just in contemplating it, these as a flow, to realize that something either comes into the mind or moves through the mind, something like this. Uh, so that we're not looking at something that's a permanent condition. You know, right at the get-go, this is something that uh, moves through. And so it carries with it, even in its very name, even though the name can feel heavy and, and thick, um, it carries with it the potential for, for liberation. So, and this, this particular teaching can really get our attention when you realize, as you, as you read in the uh, suttas, uh, there's many places where um, the Buddha talks about what it takes to become an arahant, what it takes to completely liberate the mind. And um, one of the, the language that's used uh, uh, to describe this is the, the destruction of the taints the gradual destruction of these uh, deeply entrenched patterns. So, and uh, the, the methods that are outlined in this particular sutta are the very means for doing that. So we're looking at a process that has to do with uh, completely liberating the mind. 
you know, that gets my attention. <laughs> I don't know about you, but it's like, whoa. Uh, but it does take some time, as you might imagine. And uh, I think it's interesting to, to realize that the Buddha even said that um, the, the process for him of destructing, uh, de- destroying the taints in his own mind took uh, four incalculable periods and 100,000 eons. <laughs> Somehow, in a twisted kind of way, that, that makes it, that gives me peace, you know. <laughs> it's like, you better be patient, you better relax and slow it down. But then the truth of the matter is, we don't know how long we've been at it, you know. So, maybe we've, we've already been at it for 99,000 eons. <laughs> and we're right on the brink, we don't know. <laughs> but at the, it points to a, 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 a need just to relax and to look. Uh, and, and really, uh, so much of this sutta, is, that's exactly what it's about. So the patterns are these, and you'll, you'll be very familiar with these by the end of the week. <clears throat> You're actually probably already very familiar with them. You might just not be familiar with this particular list. <laughs> so the, the first is the, the taint of craving for sense pleasures. So craving with a capital C. Uh, the second one is the taint of becoming. That might take some unpacking to see what he's pointing to here. Uh, and there's three different kinds of becoming, all of which have to do with uh, kind of being born into uh, or craving for existence in different realms uh, of existence. And, and then the third one is the taint of ignorance. Uh, So it's a lot to cover in one night. I'm not going to try to cover it in one night. I'm going to cover part tonight and uh, the rest then tomorrow night just to get through defining what these are. Because, I mean, you you can hear a list like that and, you know, the heart just goes thud. You know, it just feels very, very heavy. And in a way it is, but I hope that you'll see uh, as we work with this this week that there there are very practical ways uh, of addressing all this. Uh, and, And the important thing, I think, is that the Buddha is pointing to the fact that seeing them is the key. Being aware of these patterns um, with some semblance of objectivity, some capacity to stand outside and see, indeed, that is what my mind is doing, <laughs> and that's how I'm getting tangled. That this is this is critical. But he he points to um, seven ways of working with it, and seeing is one of them. And and two, seeing and developing are the most important because. Uh, these two approaches or responses or methods, if you will, um, result in the complete uh, uprooting, overturning, eradicating of the, of the taints. Uh, so, you know, seeing in, in Buddhism, you may uh, know, is a, is a, is a technical word. <laughs> it, it actually has to do with insight. It has to do with seeing into the nature of things. And developing is also a technical word. It, it has to do with developing the factors of awakening. So you can, part of you, you can see how he's got this two-edged sword, if you will. Part of it is just to see what the mind is doing and the, the power of mindfulness, the, uh, the power of, of capacity to, to see uh, uh, these particular patterns, to see what the mind is doing, and, and to learn through the years of practice, and it does take years, to see that in an unobstructed way to not have something to say about it, to not beat yourself up about it, to not smack ourselves around about it, but just to see very clearly the processes of the mind, 
that that, uh, uh, that is the most powerful tool that we have. That's why mindfulness is so important. Uh, because it, it, it's, you don't have to do anything about the state at that point. Uh, you just need to be able to understand how it's happening and to feel the experience of being caught in that way. And the mind, um, quite naturally, it uses its own direct experience of, uh, of pain, <laughs> of the pain of ignorance, to um, start to shift out of that. So seeing is the most important. But developing you know, the factors of awakening is also equally important because uh, what you get here is when, when, you, when you're filling the mind with very, very skillful states, it's like it can't, you can't um, have skillful and unskillful at the same time. So learning to train the mind to uh, exist or to dwell in skillful states kind of squeezes out the rest. You know, uh, uh, and also the factors of awakening are part of the tools that we use to, to see clearly. So those two are the most important. Um, and I, I, I'm going to look at, at seeing uh, tonight and seeing and developing tomorrow night. But the others are very important too because what they have to do uh, with is how do we manage, you know, how do we control, how do we get a handle on these states while we're still learning um, about them and learning how to overcome them. Um, it's kind of like a, these are all sort of managing tools, handling tools, if you will. And they, very, you're going to find them very familiar. They're restraining, you know, seeing ourselves caught and being able to pull ourselves out. Um, using, as I said may, last night, might not be so familiar, but I'll talk about that later in the week. Uh, enduring. A lot of practice is just enduring the constant impingement and um, uh, patterns of, of our own karmic uh, patterns, just to be, uh, just to sit hour after hour as you do. I mean, you've certainly done a lot of this today, just uh, uh, a- allowing the, the karmic um, habits to play themselves out in a way. You know, so a lot is being affected through just enduring. Um, there's avoiding and removing, uh, and we'll talk about these as the as the weeks go on. Week goes on. So, but the most important here is uh, seeing. Now, everything is predicated on seeing, and what we're talking about here is not only seeing the patterns, but uh, attending to them in the right way. So, attending to them in a way that um, doesn't have something to say about it. It is just a plain and simply. Um, equanimously not, uh, not having a view about what we see but just trying to purify the, the capacity to look uh, without judgment without criticism and that's, you know, that's what we we're doing in meditation practice anyway so let's, let's take a look at these um, the first one is the, the, the taint of craving for sense pleasures and and here what the Buddha is pointing to is a, is a movement of the mind that just keeps seeking gratification through the senses. Uh, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and thinking and feeling. And, and um, you know, you might be very familiar with this. I mean, this is my sort of pattern of choice, if you will. <laughs> I call it my drippy, drooly mind, you know. Just <laughs> anything that tastes so delicious or, you know, sights and sounds and pleasant objects and things like this where the, the mind um, just it, it, it just can't get enough it wants more you know it wants to grab it and wants to hold on to it and wants it to last 
this kind of thing. <clears throat> so uh, we come in, into contact with things that we find pleasing, and this is the way that uh, the mind does. And, and you, we have to remember, too, that we're not talking about just uh, physical senses, sights, sounds, smells, flavors, touches. We're also talking about the mind. And so much of the time, we're um, caught, literally, in, in states of seeking gratification through mental um, events, <laughs> through, through clamoring to ideas, plans, uh, memories, uh, you know, uh, uh, just uh, you know, all manner of, of states, beautiful states of mind that we keep trying to uh, hold on to or, or make last, things like this. So, you know, very quickly, whatever arises in the mind, a sight, a sound, a smell, a taste, a touch, becomes something to possess, something to clamor for, something to hold on to. It's just a very, very highly conditioned tendency in the mind. And it's coming from um, identification. You know, we think we are this body and mind. So whatever's going on within it, uh, the, 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 the mind just grabs and gets, uh, and gets born into in one way or another. So the Buddha is pointing to this because he's saying that the distress that we feel in uh, this constant state of, of, of craving and grasping is overwhelming. And, and you often don't even realize it until you meditate <laughs> you know, and see how much this is going on and what it's like to be caught in this state all the time. It's, it's, it's like having the experience of being incessantly out of step you know, no, no matter what's going on, we're not in what's going on. We're leaning into the next thing or grabbing hold uh, with, uh, uh, to what's happening and thinking about it, ruminating about it, going on and on about it. So it, it's not pleasant. And uh, it, the, the delusion is that uh, the, the mind is seeking pleasure, <laughs> seeking gratification, seeking a pleasure of one kind or another, but it's actually the craving that dominates the experience. You know, you're leaning for um, some uh, sensory gratification and craving that leaning is the experience and it's an irritant. You know, the mind is setting up an amazing delusion here. If I could just get something, I'll be happy. And not seeing that the whole process of leaning and grabbing is not a happy state, you know, and yet it's going on so much of the time. So, uh, you know, it's quite remarkable to watch it, uh, even while we're experiencing pleasure sometimes. The mind is grasping it. It's like it's already happening, but the movement of the mind to get more, to hold on to it, to comment about it, this is a great one to watch when you're eating, you know. Uh, that that movement of the mind dominates and that becomes the experience so that the pleasure that we were just experiencing a few seconds before that started the thinking is completely lost in the shuffle. It's amazing to watch, you know. We've done this a lot here at meditation centers with delicious foods, brownies and ice cream and things like this and just watch uh, as you eat something how the the leaning to get the next bite or the, the craving for more or the we should do this every Tuesday kind of thoughts, you know, <laughs> that, that kind of stuff just takes over and uh, becomes the experience. 
It's wild. So the very so the activity is is displacing the very thing that we seek. It's quite amazing to to, to watch it. So what is uh, you know most of us will admit we have a long way to go on that one. <clears throat> Just the act of of acknowledging or, or seeing a, a pattern and and being interested in it just helps us see the depth of the delusion that's going on here. Because uh, really, in in reality, you don't have to crave or grasp for sensory pleasure. You know, you you don't have to do that. It happens. (laughs) It happens of its own accord. And it happens usually when you get that craving and grasping out of the way. It It comes in full, much stronger. That's a little carrot for those of you who like pleasure, you know, get the craving out of the way. It's a lot stronger when you can do that. And, and we, we don't really have to seek it. And this, is, this is a, was a huge awakening for me, that, that pleasure happens. It happens, all by itself. It made me think of when, when I first started to see this myself, I remembered that bumper sticker from the 60s that said, Poop happens, you know? <laughs> Only it said the S word. <laughs> but but uh, the same is true of pleasure. You know, we know, that, we, we, we know that about pain. But the same is true of pleasure. It happens of its own accord, and, and, and uh, we expend a tremendous amount of energy trying to make it happen. And yet, you, you know as well as I do that you can set up everything to, to ensure that everybody's going to have a good time, and all you need is one person who's in a, a bad mood, you know, and the whole thing will get thrown up. I mean, you can't, you can't really make it happen. You can set up conditions, but the pleasure itself happens, or it doesn't. It arises of its own accord. And so this whole movement of the mind to get it you know, or to hold on to it, it just starts to crumble as we uh, see into what's actually happening here. Because the awakened mind doesn't know this, and, and so or the unawakened mind. So, it, so it searches and it grabs and it, and it tries to um, uh, get uh, get enough pleasure, get pleasure, get more of it, get enough of it. So there's a whole lot to be that one could say about this, but. Uh, one thing that came to mind was um, a conversation I was having with somebody not not too long ago, and um, he was saying that that uh, he he began to notice uh, in himself a, a a very strong energy for wanting an intimate relationship in his life, or wanting an intimate uh, and how much uh, effort he was expending in this, you know, between computer things and dating sites and things like this, just a tremendous amount of effort. And he said he was just, he was beginning to wake up to the fact that he was blindly following this impulse. And it was an interesting conversation because there's nothing, certainly nothing wrong with um, wanting an intimate relationship. But what he was uh, describing was he was beginning to see that um, his mind had actually set up out of an idea of something that he needs in order to be happy, set up a craving, uh, and that the craving itself was um, uh, creating a sense of a void that had to be filled. (laughs) And that this, if if he would just get this particular situation in his life, that uh, that would do it. You know, it's a, and just to begin to deconstruct that, and to realize that it, it, the craving itself was the problem. 
you know, not this sense of not having or this void that didn't even exist when the craving wasn't there. So it's fascinating for him to begin to uh, take this apart, and um, really, uh, you know, he, he said he was beginning to see that he had the thought that if he could just get gratified in this way, everything would be all right once and for all. <laughs> but we all know that feeling, you know. If I, if I could just have this or just get that, everything will be all right once and, and for all. And, and it's like, at one level, none of us believes that. <laughs> you know? But we, our behavior is such that uh, we keep um, acting in ways as if we do. And, and this, that's just one example, but it's the same with all uh, kinds of craving. That's, that's the system, that's the process that gets played out. An idea pops into our head about something to, to want. You know, so whatever it is, look and see. This is this is the week to look at this kind of thing and see it happen. And it doesn't matter what the object is: sights, sounds, smells, people, situations, whatever that is. Uh, but the mind begins to relate to it as if something's missing in our lives, just because that idea popped up. Uh, I want something. That now you have something that is missing. And the, all of the energy in the system starts to move in the direction of, of filling a void that we just created. <laughs> it's the darndest thing. <laughs> it's so amazing to watch it. So, so the delusion that gets set up is that if I, if I just get the thing, and, and really that's, uh, that's not it at all. It's, it's the freedom from the craving. That is the happiness that we seek. You know, if, if that could be, if we could be liberated from that tendency, just uh, experiencing a sense of contentment with what is, uh, and not getting caught up in the first place. So I mean, this is deep stuff. What he's getting at here, you know, it's very, very, very important to be to observe in this way and begin to see for ourselves if this is true. And lately, this, this fellow was saying that lately, as he put it, he said that um, he's seeing that he never seems to arrive. <laughs> he said every, every gain is followed by a loss of one kind or another. And just really starting to notice that and, and, and notice that the, that the, the quest that uh, gets set up here and... and um, uh, how he's never really satisfied through it. It's really fascinating. So the, the, the unawakened mind uh, seeks uh, sensual pleasure and, and just tries to hold on to it when it subsides or tries to make it last or keeps looking for new forms for it. But the awakened mind begins to see that there, uh, there is no permanent hit. There's no permanent hit to be had in the sensory realm. It's constantly changing, it's constantly moving, and it's not ultimately gratifying in any way. So that the, the, the happiness we seek is, is, a, is actually uh, a flip-flop of that, is being free of it, learning to yeah, it, like enjoy it when it's here, but let it go when it's not, like not be so caught up in gratification through the senses.
you know, just kind of getting it that sometimes life is good and sometimes it's not so good. <laughs> and that's the way it is. And you sort of, uh, I think as you practice, through the years of practice, you really start to take life a lot more as it comes, don't you? It's, it's not uh, uh, this endless quest for something other. So gradually, as we understand what the, the Buddha is saying here, uh, we begin to wake up to the extent of the, the grasping and the attachment and, and just the pain of living in that constant state of longing. So I, I, our task as meditators is to see this for ourselves and just see. I mean, ask yourselves as we practice here this week, particularly, are, are, are we blindly caught up in this habit of grasping? I mean, don't take the Buddha's word for it. You know, we have to look and see, is that true? Is that our experience from one moment to the next? Just grabbing hold of sights and sounds and smells and flavors and dominantly thoughts and feelings, pleasure and pain and neither. And, and to ask ourselves, what's the experience of living life in that mode? What's that like? <laughs> That's what we're doing as we meditate, getting a, a direct experience of what it's like to be caught in that What's the payoff? Do we ever really get what we want? <laughs> Do we ever really arrive at that uh, great hit in the sky? <laughs> and, and what's it like to, to lose that fascination? What's it like just to relax into things uh, as they arise? And let them rise and move through this is, a, this is a big one, and, and it's often misunderstood, because um, a lot of people think that the Buddha is saying, don't uh, enjoy anything, you know, <laughs> don't, don't, be, don't allow any kind of sensory gratification. But that's not what he's looking at here at all. He's talking about the quest for it. You know, you can't avoid uh, sensory um, pleasure. There's no way around that. You're going to enjoy things, whether you like it or not. You know? <laughs> it's just going to happen. <laughs> but what he's saying here is that um, uh, see the advantages. Ajahn Chah puts it this way, see the advantages, but also see the disadvantages. Buddha says it like, see, see the um, gratification, but see the danger, too. Like to, to see, don't don't uh, get mesmerized by one and miss the other. Uh, that there's a, there's a need for a balance here. Uh, that's a, a lot of the process of waking up is getting uh, uh, being able to see this balance. So, and what what he means by this is uh, just watch this this week. Uh, watch in your life and practice. You know, you, one might say, for example, that I really. I really like eating delicious foods. I like that. It's pleasant. It's delicious. It's fun. But I don't like being at the mercy of that constant having to have that. And I don't like that feeling. I like to notice that too. That's what he's pointing to. Or, or yes, I like beautiful sights. I like beautiful sounds. But, but I don't like uh, feeling that I have to have them. And that this is what life is all about. Yeah? Contemplate that. Or, this one's one of my favorites. So, yes, I love to dream. 
I love to imagine, you know. You can't tell me when I'm caught in a fantasy that I'm not having a good time, you know. <laughs> I really love that, that, that whole world of being mesmerized by pleasant thoughts, you know. But uh, I, I don't like the feeling that I have when I snap out of it. You know, don't like living in la-la land so much of the time, you know, being caught like that. So, so one wants to notice it. Notice both uh, sides of the equation. And, and as, as Ajahn Chah puts it, uh, he said, then the mind begins to become stable. And I like that. I like the way he's, what he's pointing to here. That uh, there's a balancing. That the, the leaning, the being mesmerized, the being caught up is going to diminish. And, and so that the swings, the pendulum swings of life, are going to begin to balance out a lot more. And uh, that really speaks to me, because, uh, uh, and I'm sure you've seen this too, as, as we experience this sense of not constantly being pulled by the senses, what's going on, at the, on the, in the sense realm, uh, we're just a lot happier. <laughs> there's, a, there's an ease, there's a, a contentment, you know, that, that wonderful feeling of not having to have. You know, because whether we know it or not, as we're practicing, with, particularly with the foundations of mindfulness, right, uh, what's, what you're, we're learning to do through that is, is to relate to sensations, feelings, and thoughts with increasing non-attachment. You, you, we're learning to stand back from this experience of the body and mind which heretofore, you know, before you meditate, this, we think this is what we are. We think this is who we are. And, and yet now you're able to stand back from it uh, enough to um, experience this sense of, of non-attachment. And uh, you do that long enough. And what we begin to uh, become sensitized to is, and this is to be seen, don't believe this, but it, it's the, the far greater happiness of non-attachment. <laughs> you know, the, the, uh, in a worldly sense, um, gratification in the sense realm is where it's at. <sighs> gimme, gimme, gimme. I want, I want, I want. I'll be so happy when I can get, you know. And uh, what the Buddha is saying is, is extremely profound. Look and see. You want that, or you want not having to have it in the first place? <laughs> Try these on. See where the happiness really is. And this is all very invitational. It's not, this is the law, this is the way it is. It's come and see. The way that he lays out the Dhamma is ahipasiko. Come and see for yourself. Don't take my word for it, he says. So that's the, that's the, the first one, just this, uh, this sense of uh, the, the, the taint of craving for sensory gratification. And that has to be unpacked. <laughs> that has to be seen. And uh, it, it's so apparent when we look where the happiness really is. So I want to look at a couple of the. Uh, there's three different kinds of becoming, but I want to. I just want to look at two tonight. Uh, 
the first, uh, the, the, the taint of becoming in itself, just the, the, the broad umbrella, um, it's a mouthful. And what he's pointing to here, and, and we'll get into this uh, in the classroom this week too, uh, is uh, this whole um, process that uh, is outlined in the teaching on dependent origination, uh, which points to an, an ever-increasing um, movement towards uh, grasping and being uh, identified with objects. So that uh, the way that the Buddha lays it out, he says, you know, you, basically you got born, <laughs> you got a body and mind, and they behave in this way. And from the time that you're born until the time that you die, there's constant contact at uh, the, the six sense doors. See, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, feeling. That is, that is just perpetual. He calls it impingement. You can't, you can't do anything about that. It goes with the territory of being born. If you have eyes that see, then you're going to constantly have things bombarding the eyes <laughs> to be seen, basically. Uh, and, and then uh, each moment of contact has a feeling tone of pleasure, pain, or neither. And then the mind begins to start to lean into what it is that it's experiencing, or lean away from it, or not see it. <laughs> and that's the way the, the, the feeling tone plays out. But the, um, the leaning into and the leaning away, and even the, the, the not seeing, are all uh, um, forms of grasping, or, or clinging, uh, or cr- uh, craving. Uh, there's different words that are used for it. But uh, at some point, um, the, what happens is the, the, the mind gets so caught up in it that the, the thread of knowing, the, the, the bit that I was talking about yesterday when I was talking about the Buddha, the capacity to know what's happening, right? Gets, uh, the thread of that gets lost in the shuffle. <laughs> and and uh, so this word becoming that the Buddha uses to describe this is, is very, it's a very apt word. It's an interesting choice of words. Uh, but uh, basically what, it, it, why I say it's apt is it, it really is um, a descriptive of what happens. It, at some point you're, not, you're no longer grasping. You're completely caught, completely identified with what it is that uh, the mind has turned to completely uh, preoccupied um, and in, in the way we've become it. <laughs> There's no sense of ourselves outside of that. You know, and t- today we were using that example in, um, in the questions uh, about uh, coming, you know, being gone, being lost in thought for a period of time. How many times on the cushion have you seen that happen? And then something, uh, mindfulness arises, you snap out of it, and uh, you sort of come to, yeah? That bit where you were completely gone, <laughs> that's the becoming. That's the, the state where, you know, you, you just don't, it's like being asleep. You don't have a sense of, we don't have a sense of ourselves. It's very, very painful. Uh, usually seen in hindsight when we snap out of it. Yeah. Where have I been? <laughs> Where the heck have I been? I've been gone for 20 minutes, you know. I didn't, I didn't see it happen. So if you have ever experienced this, just being lost in this way, one way or another, then uh, you know what we're talking about. Something caught the attention. 
often a thought, a sight, a sound, a smell, a taste, and um, and uh, it, it's like we fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, this is the unawakened mind <laughs> for sure. <laughs> you know, you, we just kind of. Um, uh, you never see it happen. It's the same as if you've ever tried to see yourself fall asleep. You don't see it happen, do you? Yeah, I stayed up very late one night trying to see it happen. I don't recommend doing that. <laughs> At one point, the whole body just went, took a dive, and I hit my head on the ground. I mean, you just don't see it happen. You're here one moment, you're gone the next. And this is what the Buddha's pointing to. Is a, is a tendency to it's kind of like you, you vacate the premises you know, and, and we're here a lot of the time we're in this state a lot of the time and, and it, it's fascinating to see it happen uh, to see what happens when you come out you know, it's like you, you, you've come out of a dream and, and for a few moments you know where you've been but a few minutes later you don't even remember it the mind is just on to the next thing isn't it? I mean, sometimes you paint a picture of this, what it's like to be an unawake human being. It's not very attractive, is it? (laughs) It's like we're kind of in la-la land so much of the time. So as meditators, though, we're going to see this. We've seen it a gazillion times. And you're probably going to see it a gazillion times more. And a lot is predicated on what you do when you snap out of that state of becoming. Uh, and 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 if the if the mind can just hold that for a few seconds, and feel what that feels like, this is a big player in um, losing the grip, uh, ceasing the state of being so so mesmerized by what's going on uh, in the mind, particularly, but certainly with the body. And and what the the Buddha says is that over the years of practice, uh, essentially. You get sick of doing it. You know, the, the word that he uses is disgust. <laughs> you know, nibida. The mind just gets, uh, it's, it's sick of it. It's sick of seeing itself wander off like this. And it starts to learn to stay put. It starts to, to learn to just be in the world as it is. Instead of constantly trying to create a more complex universe and, and live in that one. Just to be here uh, in this world as it is. So the mind just slowly uh, releases the, the, the grip of delusion. So, I mean, there's so many examples that one could give uh, around uh, this one. And uh, I just invite you to look for yourself to, to see how we get lost in objects. We get lost in our mind. We get lost in things. You know, one of the things that people talk about the most is uh, food. How you can just go completely blank. And, and get lost in food, or technology, you know, television, things of this nature. Yeah, I was talking to a fellow recently who um, just, he keeps finding himself playing free cell, and he doesn't know how it happened. <laughs> He's sitting at the computer working on his uh, emails, and all of a sudden the card game is up on there, and he's playing it, and he didn't, you know, he's just kind of so addicted to it. He doesn't, doesn't even see um, something, something lost interest in the email. And, up, you know, he brought the game up and started playing. Just it doesn't see it happen. Yeah? Have you, have you ever seen that one? 
maybe not that particular thing, but it's that kind of thing. We all have our own version of it. And, and some people talk about, um, particularly in our culture, just buying things, you know, consumerism, buying objects, getting lost in materiality, uh, things that we have to have or think we have to have or, or didn't see ourselves have to have them, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. But one of my girlfriends was saying she was, um, she was backing out of the driveway one morning in her brand new $35,000 car and it occurred to her to ask, how did I get here? <laughs> and she remembered just a few weeks earlier driving out in her old car and feeling that the seat wasn't very comfortable anymore. <laughs> and one thing led to another. And she says to, she says to me, Gloria, I could have bought a pillow. <laughs> but that's how it happens, isn't it? <laughs> it's amazing. That's how it happens. Yeah. And it's not to say, I mean, you know, a lot of this is benign. I mean, we're not trying to uh, upset the whole process of determining what we need and getting it. That's not what we're pointing to at all. But just this blind, driven, falling asleep uh, process where we don't see it happen. We don't, you don't have options. You, you're not, uh, like, like sort of discernment, wisdom, it's not a player. <laughs> It's not part of the process at all. It's all just uh, going out to lunch. So it's just uh, what I think it's pointing to is it's not just grasping. It's really the sense of believing that somehow um, the path to happiness is in this kind of uh, gratification, in this kind of being born into things. So maybe it's not uh, conscious or deliberate, but ba- what happens basically is that our actions suggest or, or imply that we believe that, it is, that, that there is happiness here. And it's not, that, it's not that there isn't pleasure, but I think what the Buddha is pointing to is, um, do you want a happiness that keeps changing, keeps moving, keeps, it's like a moving target, <laughs> You know, or, or that doesn't endure. I mean, you only have to watch a little kid playing with a toy to see a, a new toy to see uh, how long the pleasure lasts. You know, <laughs> and yet we're still doing it sixty years later. You know, I <laughs> think you know, he's just wanting us to wake up to all of that. And you have to know that we're not going to get a whole lot of help from our culture. You know. It, it, it's uh, the, it's the driving force behind a lot of this, you know, sending up all kinds of cues, all kinds of messages of what we need in order to be happy. And this all has to be looked at. So, I guess the upshot of this uh, this this particular taint of the becoming sensory experience um, is to just uh, ask ourselves where where do we want to be in all of this. You know, for myself, I, I watch. Uh, I watch as I go in and out of this kind of becoming. 
you know, it's, it's quite fascinating to me. Um, you know, as a practitioner, uh, enough uh, of me, enough of you, I'm sure, is outside of it. To uh, begin to get a handle and to, to feel this uh, sense of knowing that there's not a lot of, there's not an ultimate happiness in sensory experience. And, and that helps to temper the craving. You know, little by little over the years of practice, don't you find that uh, you may, if you still have the impulses to get uh, objects, that something sort of intercepts more and more, or has something, it just gets some, a little wedge gets in there a little bit more, so that we can temper the craving, we can slow it down enough, if not actually offset it. Um, so that's but that's very nice to see. But uh, just watching myself enough is still caught to have many many moments where one is paralyzed, sort of not knowing which way to go. <laughs> have you seen that? It's just uh, it's, ooh, don't know which way to go on this one. That I was just talking to a friend uh, a while back who was uh, wanted to get a smartphone. And yet, you know, that it certainly would be very useful with business and things like this, but um, very aware that she was already so distracted in her mind that uh, she was hesitant. You know, is this a tool that is going to make me more distracted? Or is it going to uh, help? Is, it, is, the, is the payoff for the, the service part of... Uh, Maybe my work or my life is that is that going to be worth it? And and, and it's not uh, it's not to say that there's a right and a wrong in here because there's absolutely nothing wrong with a smartphone. <laughs> but the, but I, I'm just pointing to the fact that so many of us as practitioners we're, we're weighing, you know, we're asking questions and rightfully so. You, you don't just want to jump on board with every technology that comes along. One has to really um, contemplate. Uh, what it's going to do to the mind, how it's going to affect one's life. Because this impulse to get lost in it is so great. So we can be uh, conflicted, can't we? You know? it's, it's interesting because we want a, a little bit of, of both worlds. We want a transcendent world and we want a worldly world. <laughs> you know, we want a, one where we're completely gratified all the time. And we're kind of caught in this in-between place, most of us as practitioners. Just uh, kind of trying to sort that out. Kind of awake enough to see the harm of grasping and the wish not to keep getting caught in that. You know, but not awake enough to stop doing it. And, and, and I think it's an important realization and just to uh, accept that that's the way it is. And to know this as the the process of waking up. This is exactly what the Buddha is pointing to. This is, this is a, a process. And it's going to be like that for a long time as we sort out. You know, because ultimately, you know, non-attachment, renunciation, the, 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 um, the fruits of the Eightfold Path, the right view and right thought, have to do with cultivating a mind that is not attached, that is harmless, that is filled with kindness. You know, how does a mind like that relate to the world? 
and vice versa. So um, just realizing that this goes on for a long time and um, our, our practice is just kind of one of reconciling the, the pull to be born into things uh, with the, the pull to let them be. You know, just watching that. Oh, this is the stuff, man, of practice. This is right where all the action is. The, 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 the leaning and the non-attaching. The grabbing, the letting go. Right? It's all right in there. And, and that's um, where so much of practice is just working on that tension. Trying to figure out uh, where we want to be in the midst of all of that. So this, uh, just one, one more uh, on, the, on becoming, and this is, this is fascinating. This is, I mean, the, the Buddha goes for the jugular on this one, if you ask me. <laughs> but he's talking about the, the it's called the, t- the taint of um, uh, bec- craving for existence or becoming in the material realms. And uh, this, a lot of this, just at one level, has to do with the same as what we've been talking about. It's just uh, you know gratification. Being uh, materiality is where it's at. You know this is this world is where it's at, and and one is just uh, constantly um, caught up in it. And 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 again and again and again. You know maybe wanting to break that pattern, but still finding ourselves just doing it over and over again. So it can be very frustrating stuff to to watch ourselves do this. And I, I find this to be one of the key themes that gets talked about in practice discussions. But the, what, is, what he's really talking about here, the mo- more significant level, when he's talking about craving for continued existence in the material realm, is actually um, a, a kind of uh, personal immortality. Nobody wants to die. <laughs> My friend wrote a song years ago, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. <laughs> <laughs> and that really captures it, you know. It captures a lot of what the Buddha is pointing to here. So, at, at, at this level, um, you know, you don't really have to look very far to see the incredibly elaborate and sophisticated systems that we have in, in our minds for um, convincing ourselves that it's not going to happen to us. You know, that we're going we're to be the one that's going to get out alive. <laughs> Fascinating stuff. Or just pretending or, or ignoring that this is not the way it's going to go. You know, But it, it can be a, a, a rude awakening. There's a lot written about this. You know, when, if in the, in the final moments... Uh, then uh, uh, that's uh, where it hits us <laughs> that we really are going to die, uh, and then by then you know you have that that awful feeling as it's described of it's being too late. And people get a, a strong sense of urgency as we age because we don't want that feeling of it being too late. We want to be able to do what needs to be done in this life before that happens. But if you've ever uh, witnessed somebody who's having what's called a, a bad death, you know, that grasping, that clamoring for life, wanting desperately not to have this life 
come to an end, then uh, this is what the Buddha is pointing to here. There's a there's a, 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 a incredibly intense grasping in the system uh, for life. Uh, but that just to, to witness that happen and the kicking and screaming that goes along with it, you know, if you, it makes quite an impression. If you've ever seen somebody dying like that, you know, you come away from it with a feeling of. Uh, I do not want to die like that. <laughs> Whatever it takes. I want to know, I want to understand what this whole uh, body and mind process is about, what living and dying is all about, so that, uh, you know, when my time comes, it, it, one can die with, uh, with grace. You know, one can go with some semblance of grace. So again, th- this is the taint of craving, for material existence. And uh, the Buddha, uh, the way that he talks about it uh, in um, the teaching, particularly on dependent origination, if you look at that teaching um, as it's often looked at, as more than one lifetime, um, an explanation of what goes on uh, not only during a moment, but from one lifetime to the next. It's sort of seen as an explanation or a description of how the wheel of samsara keeps happening, you know, and and uh, this is a key player in it. This uh, uh, craving for uh, existence in the material realm, because uh, it said that the, that is so intense that it actually has the the, the power or the force behind it to uh, propel uh, rebirth. And so, you know, if we don't die, if at the moment of death we have a tremendous amount of attachment in this regard, then there is rebirth. So the Buddha is literally pointing to eradicating that depth of attachment so that the one gets off the wheel, one doesn't get reborn. And so the eradication of greed, hatred, and delusion, the eradication of attachment, however you want to phrase it, you know, the insights into uh, impermanent suffering and non-self, these are all leading towards uh, Nibbana, which is uh, a, a kind of uh, not being born, not being reborn. And, and literally, uh, it plays itself out uh, in the, the final moments of life uh, uh, as a not being born into another uh, form. That literally, the force of that is so great that it's like it finds a new host <laughs> at the moment of our death. So we want to live, we want to survive. and This is deeply, deeply entrenched in, in our mental states. So you can see that uh, when the Buddha is talking about these deeply entrenched patterns, you know, this, he's not mincing words here. <laughs> this is serious stuff and very the powerful uh, forces and, and energies in our lives. So just consider what it would take to, not, to, to, to eradicate that kind of craving in the system, that, that, that force in, in our system. One would have to have so much insight into the nature of the body and the mind uh, such that we would really, really, really know that they are not who we are. So the, the, if you can feel that, the attachment would be, uh, would be non-existent. 
because I want to know this is this I know the body and mind, but it's not who I am. And one would have to be so very much at peace in the present moment, you know, and just look at your life, just think of where your mind has been in today, you know, to, to know how rare that is, that we're so at peace in the present moment, that there would be absolutely no leaning into the next one. <laughs> no, no sense in this heart, in this mind, that the, of, of, of something else being better or more important or uh, leaning into that. Yeah? This is a powerful process. Or you, you would have to be so, uh, you would have to so fully embrace impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and non-self that um, there wouldn't be any quarrel whatsoever with life as it is. You know, as it is now in this uh, state that we're in while we're still not awake, you know, so much of our energy is, is spent trying to make things that are uh, impermanent and changeable last. <laughs> you know, trying to make things that are, are unpleasant somehow be pleasant, or trying to make uh, things that are uncertain be certain trying to make things that are not subject to our control be subject to our control. So we're talking about some profound insights to be able to stop doing all of that. Yeah? Sounds delicious to me. I don't know about you. (laughs) You sort of, you know the pain that we're in from not knowing. So what he's pointing to here really is, you know... um, how we how we die and and our capacity to uh, um, do that well um, is de- definitely predicated on our understanding of the nature of the body and mind and the the characteristics of impermanent suffering and non-self. And on this one, I mean, it can it can sound so heavy sometimes, but I think it's a profound life question and issue. For all of us, and where I've come to with it is, I, I, I just started to ask myself, well, maybe about ten years ago or so, you know, is what would it take? What would it take for me to die with a smile on my face? <laughs> you know, one wants to live one's life in a way such that you could, you could die with a smile on your face. And, you know, getting answers. I mean, each, I think that's a good thing to contemplate. Each of us has to get, uh, come to our own answers. But the, the operating thing for me right now is to really understand, to really, really get it, that I am involved in a process. And that it's a process of awakening. And as such, it can't be hurried along, it can't be made to unfold any faster than it actually is, right? It's kind of like a Paul Masson wine, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you can serve no wine before it's time, <laughs> you know? You're not going to wake up until you wake up, you know? And, and so just to, to get that, the more that I get that, 
then um, what, what, what one begins to experience is a, uh, a knowing that at any moment in my life, any moment in our practice, one is doing the best we can. You know, one is really doing the best we can. And to, to know that so deeply that uh, at any, where, wherever the process stops, <laughs> you know, you, you go, okay, yeah. That's it. This, right here, right now, best I could do. Right here, right now, best I could do. Right here, right now, best I could do. And not, 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 not kidding yourself. That's not a cop-out in any way. Really, really knowing that uh, it's true. We really are always doing the best we can. Just keep working with it. I'll close with this thought. Uh, Ajahn Chah says, uh, practice until you can't go forward, you can't go back, and you can't stand still. He says, then you'll know what it means to transcend suffering. It's that last one that gets me. I had to chew on that for a long time. I'm still not 100% sure I know what he means, but I can't stand still. It seems to embrace the uh, impermanence. You know, that, that is nothing, nothing is, nothing is standing still. So if you can be in that, then uh, everything uh, everything will be all right. Yeah. So this is uh, the beginning of the asavas. <laughs> Some things to chew on, right? So I hope it's helpful. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.